Call it Duty Modern Warfare is here, and so is Mountain Dew. Roger that. Now you can unlock in-game rewards like only Dew can. Wait, what rewards? A Dew Operator skin. Man, I love Operator skins. Dual double XP, and even Call of Duty points. You're kidding me. Double XP and Call of Duty points? This is incredible. I can't believe it. This Soldier, get a hold of yourself. Oh, roger that. Look for specially marked packaging and visit mtndugaming.com for details and restrictions. Open to U.S. residents 17 plus. Call of Duty points available on 12 and 24 packs and 320 and 23. week that saw the marvellous Mrs. Maisel win three SAG Awards, Ollie Murs find the support app for his next tour on The Voice, and Love Island's Megan and Wes break up, this is Series Linked. I'm Emma Bullimore from The TV Times, and this is Mark Jeffries from The Mirror. Hiya, Jeffers. Hey, Emma. On this week's episode of the podcast, dedicated to everything on the box that's both on and in demand, Derma O'Leary will be joining us in the studio for an NTA's post-mortem. We'll be talking about the Netflix show that everyone is watching, Plus, comedian Russell Howard will be sharing his box set to watch before you die. You're listening to Series Linked, the podcast for TV fans by TV fans. So our guest for this week, Dermot O'Leary, is almost in the building. Very excited to chat to him. Before we do that, though, Jeffers, I have to talk to you about this documentary on Netflix that everyone's going on about. I finally watched it the other day. The one about Fire Festival. Have you seen it yet? Yeah, this is Fire, the greatest party that never happened. It came out on Netflix on January the 18th. There's also actually a second one uh, on Hulu over in the States that people are talking about. But this is the main one that certainly in the UK we're all watching. And it's all about this festival organiser, Billy McFarland. And he sort of tries to take a punt in uh, sort of organising this festival, this Fire Festival um, in the Bahamas. And um, it just goes from bad to worse sort of thing. Uh, he comes across terribly. It's sort of like watching a very, very slow car crash in sort of slow motion uh, in the form of a music festival. And it's occasionally funny, but also quite quite disturbing in places as well. Just sort of how many lies he tells and how much he gets away with. I mean, what did you think of it? Well, it's literally unbelievable. So he teams up with Ja Rule and they basically want to live out this fantasy life with models on the beach and there's going to be all this music. And they cause this Instagram storm and every, all these influencers are, are bigging it up. And yeah, it's going to be such a fantastic event. And then you obviously see that they haven't got the infrastructure to make that work. They haven't. They just can't make it happen. They, they can't back up what they're advertising. But instead of cancelling it, they get everyone over and then it's a Lord of the Flies type situation, but with millionaire influencers, which in a way is kind of funny, uh, but also terrible. But it's, it's just an amazing story. I mean, some documentaries are good because of the way they're told or whatever. It's not the craft. It's just the story itself. I just couldn't believe what I was seeing. Yeah, I mean, the, the event itself or, or the non-event, I suppose, in the end, that it, it was actually due to happen in April 2017. And I do remember around that time um, seeing some pictures of the sort of disaster and it made a few waves on sort of my Twitter and that sort of thing. But but I didn't know really the full scale of it. And speaking to a few other people, they remember it. And some of them said, actually, they remember seeing the sort of models putting their Instagram posts and things up and um, also thinking about, you know, that it looked a really good party. But yeah, I mean, it's one of those things where it's it, it's all hype and there's actually no no substance at all to it. The first party that the models got to go on for actually for the Instagram and the video shoot, I mean, that looked like they had a good time that there. That was the festival. Yeah, that, that's, I think someone says on there that was the festival. And then the, the festival itself, I think that the starting price was something like $3,200. It sells out very quickly, doesn't it? And all these people think they're going for this trip of a lifetime. 
the island changes, the infrastructure isn't there to, to even sort of put on a music festival. There's a 22, 23 year old lad who's never booked any music uh, acts before, who's sort of thrown in and told to book all these people. And so they're desperately scrambling around for acts. They're scrambling around for um, accommodation. They also, uh, turns out they've booked it on one of the busiest weekends of the island that they're on um, of the year. It's just sort of a horror show. Bits of it are, are quite funny, but th- but also quite sad as well. There's people on a much more sort of working class level on the island who who almost work in 24-7, who sort of don't get paid. There's a woman in charge of sort of the catering who runs what I imagine is a fairly sort of normally a, quite a small restaurant. She ends up a lot of money down. She, I think she says up to 50000 And off the back of the documentary, there has been some good news because there's been some Kickstarters and that sort of thing on, online and people have been sort of donating. And I believe a lot of the workers now have been paid one way or another. And also a lot of the festival guys, I think, have got their money back. So it's not necessarily a happy ending, but it's not quite as painful as obviously it looks when, when you see them arrive there and they're sort of running uh, for the tents and it's sort of Lord of the Flies style. People are ripping stuff from different tents and there's lockers sort of which don't seem to have keys that are just wide open. I mean, it, it's just... I wanted to see more of that stuff. I wanted, You saw them like grabbing mattresses and moving them to their tent or whatever. I wanted to see more of the carnage, but maybe that's because I'm not a nice person. I mean, it was just total chaos, wasn't it? And then you've got, then you've got um, people at the airport uh, trying to get back and then they, I think they got locked in the airport until, until they could go home. I mean, it needs to be seen to be believed. I mean, it is total chaos and um yeah this guy billy mcfarland i mean he he continues to lie and lie like a modern day pinocchio sort of thing and and you know tries to almost another lie to cover the the lie before and they obviously thought this was going to work but it, it there wasn't enough time there wasn't enough thought that went in and there was obviously i think too much drinking and too much partying before the party and that's partly to blame for the sort of shambles that it ends up as well and i have to say it comes down heavy on billy mcfarland but jar rule needs to take his fair share of it. He just sits there going, why can't we all have fun? Why can't we all have drink? I mean, he doesn't come out of it well either. This is such a massive hit for Netflix. It's a great time for Netflix. We were talking last week about sex education. but also want to talk about you, as in not you, Jeffers, you, the programme, uh, which is really good. And everyone's talking about that as well. What did you think of it? Well, this is a drama, so it's obviously a little bit different to the Fire Doc, but there is there is some crossover because obviously Fire was all sort of, the sales were prompted from sort of social media and the posts from the model and, and a lot of you is about, I suppose, um, who you are in terms of the people there and in terms of how they're portrayed on, on social media. So this is a sort of psychological thriller. You've got um, a guy called Joe Goldberg. He's a bookstore manager. And then uh, Beck, who's Guinevere Beck, who's a sort of a graduate student who he sort of casts his eye on and, and takes a fancy to. And it's um, in a stalkerish way. Yeah, it's a, it's what I liked about it is there's a lot of twists and turns. At first you think, oh, maybe this uh, Joe, this bookstore manager, maybe he's just a bit quirky and, you know, oh, maybe it's going to be some sort of love story with uh, with Beck and there's going to be some nice resumption or whatever, but it, it very quickly changes tack. Well, yeah, um, there's a very graphic scene where it becomes clear that this is not a romance, this is a stalker, stalky type relationship. It's, it's not gritty and realistic. There's lots of coincidences. There's lots of kind of things that you just have to take with a pinch of salt. But I kind of like that because in a way that makes it less intimidating and more like a story that you can just get engrossed in. Yeah, I mean, I th- I thought I knew where it was going. I think I've watched two or three episodes now and I think midway through the first one, I thought, oh yeah, this looks like it's going to be X, Y, Z. But there's lots of twists. It's, it's not a sort of a straight sort of blood and sort of guts murdery thing. It's, and there's it's not just that. There's sort of psychological levels. It plays a lot on that. The, the social media posts that they're doing, uh, they appear on screen uh, in some of the scenes. And which is not completely new, but it, it works well here, and it, it shows 
uh, perhaps what what are what the main characters are thinking, but also what they're trying to portray to other people. It also shows that if you did have a stalker and and that and you are quite active on social media, if you're not careful, there's there's a lot that can be found out about you. I mean, this girl um, sort of leaves herself wide open to uh, Joe, that the character, to sort of really know her day-to-day life inside out and he he uses that to his advantage and he uses that to get very close to her very quickly and um, I'm really interested to see where it goes now. So it was announced this week that Suits is going to come to an end after its ninth series. That's right, ninth. I think most people tapped out after, what, series four? Something like that. Also, Modern Family has been commissioned for one final series. That's on series 10 right now. So, Jeffers, my big question to you this week is what is your sort of definitive example of a TV show that's gone on a bit too long? Well, I don't want to be controversial, but... Straight in there, controversy, love it. Straight in there, I thought, well, to be honest, if you're going to be really honest, I thought Broadchurch, after series one, went downhill pretty quickly. Yeah. The third series was much better, but that second series in the court was pretty shocking. If that had been a one-series programme, that would be a lot more iconic than I think it is. I think it's slightly tarnished from the second and third series. Because their hand was forced, wasn't it? They had to do a third series to save the reputation because series one was so big. Yeah, and I think, to be fair, the third series was was a lot better, but that second series, if looking back, it got a lot of criticism. It was, I think, factually, there was a lot of inaccuracies with the court stuff, and it, it wasn't great. Looking online about this sort of question, you get a lot of people saying Homeland and The Walking Dead. I didn't re- watch enough of them. I checked out very early on those, so I'm not really good to comment on those. But I think if the one nomination for me is going to be Shameless. Okay. That was back for 2004 until 2013. So it went on forever, really, it felt like, anyway. Um, 11 series. And you started off, you had Frank played by David Threlfall, a really great TV character. First few few years, really, really good. You also had Maxine Peake, Anne-Marie Duff and James McAvoy, all in the first few series. It was really strong. Then most of that supporting cast, they all leave series two, series three. It just just went downhill pretty quickly after that. It's interesting you say Homeland as well. I've got a bit of a running joke with my uh, former flatmate that she was the only person in the world still watching Homeland by the end because it just it was so big again when it started and just kind of trailed off. It was another one that was on Channel 4, wasn't it? I remember all bells and whistles when it starts. Yeah. Actually, by their standards as well, very big ratings. And then I think towards the end, you know, barely a million people watching it. My nomination for this would be Coupling, which okay. I absolutely loved. Do you remember Stephen Moffat wrote yeah, it? Yeah, and it was it well. brilliant. But then the first three series, brilliant. Great cast, and then Richard Coyle left, who played Jeff, who was you know the big sort of buffoon of the six of mm. them, and they tried to replace him, and it just that whole thing worked because they were a perfect six, and when one left and they tried to replace him and didn't replace him well, oh, you just felt so disappointed. It just didn't have the magic formula anymore. I wish that had stopped a series earlier, and also Brothers and Sisters, which I love, featuring you know Sally Phil, Callista Flockhart, Matthew Reese, my favourite, and then it it kind of towards the end they lost the backing of the producers or whatever, and they had to wrap it up really, really quickly. I think they got told mid-series, this is going to be it. Mm. So they'd set up all this stuff and then they had to quickly tie it up at the end and it was a wasted ending and that was so annoying. When you're so invested in something, you just wish, why didn't you just finish sooner? And a common theme there as well, you mentioned with Coupling and with Shameless, is that any key castman, once they go, once yeah. they lose, it almost like the magic formula disappears and then the show just doesn't work. You're listening to Series Linked. Coming up, Russell Howard tells us his box set to watch before you die. Plus up next, Dermot O'Leary. When you buy clothes from Balkan, you're not buying from just another online retailer. You're buying from a five-star rated brand. Fit and quality is at the heart of everything we do. And you're not buying throwaway fashion either. You're buying meticulously crafted, elegant pieces that you'll love forever. 
Our collections are defined by foundational pieces infused with timeless essentials and relevant trends. Marie Claire described our collections as everyday designs with a cool fashion edge. And The Telegraph said, if you're after a perfectly pulled together, paired back capsule wardrobe, then Balkan is your go-to. Right now, you can enjoy a little luxury for less in our end-of-season sale. And with free delivery and returns when you spend £59, there's never been a better time to try us. In fact, the only difficult bit is spelling our name. Balkan. B-A-U-K-J-E-N. Find us at balkan.com. That's B-A-U-K-J-E-N.com. Well, this week, we are very excited to welcome a man who's very busy at the moment. Lots of things, not least of all, just done a massive gig at the O2, the NTAs. Oh. It's Mr. Saturday Night himself. <laughs> it's Sam O'Leary. Good afternoon, morning and evening to everyone listening. Are you massively relieved the NTAs is done or are you kind of on a come down or how does it feel? It's a good question because I'm never, I'm never entirely sure how it goes, <laughs> if I'm really honest. No one ever gets in on time. It's turning into a little bit like the Brits. So yeah. when you know when you go on, you know when the Brit starts and you think no one sat down. Where is and the NTAs is a little bit like that now. But um, I think that when the show starts, it's, it's a lot. It's a world of fun. Like mm. the getting there is is uh, is a job. But actually on the night, I really enjoy it. It's hard work for you because not only do they all come in hours. late, but they're all sort of chatting and excited oh, yeah, and seeing yeah. each other. And and the thing is about all these things, all these shows is you you want to start strong. So you want to start like and part of it isn't. It's not necessarily how your script goes down or what gags hit in the room because you're in the O2, no gags. So more is how you're going in your head. And I have a tendency, if I if it's not going well, to speed up. And I have to always, even 15 years down the line, I have to sort of like slow myself down a little bit if it's not, you know. But so in that show, the first part and the top of the second part when we do the look around, if they go well, then I feel, okay, now we're in the rhythm and it's fine. And, the, and actually, Piers Morgan is the gift that keeps on giving because like, every year I think we beat him on Piers. <laughs> <laughs> and if he wasn't there, I'd feel really bad about it. What about the party afterwards? Are you excited to meet anyone there? I mean, yeah, Bros, Bros then, were there. Were you there? Yeah. Bros made time for everyone, didn't oh they? Oh my goodness. At the after party, they were like, give me a phone, yeah. everyone. The people just lining and they, up. I, I, I interviewed um, Matt last year, I think in promo for that O2 gig. And I got the sense of who he was then. Uh, and he remembered. He was very sweet. He was just like, hey man, how's it going? You know, and he, they, they had so much time for everyone. Two of the other big people at, at the NTAs, obviously Anton Deck. Yeah. Well, they uh, weren't there. They weren't there, but probably the biggest moment of the night, and they did wish you happy retirement. So <laughs> what, what's your response to that? As you two know, context is the enemy of the written word, isn't it? So it was obviously there was a willful misrepresentation of, you know, something that was said in very light humour. So obviously there's a frustration for me. But ju- just to clear that up, if, if anyone maybe didn't read the story, there was some suggestion that you didn't want them to win, and I think it was slightly taken out of sort of proportion. And, and presumably, like, I know you guys speak a lot. Think things are good with you guys? Oh, we texted like 20 minutes after the show. So, yeah. What did you say? I said, yeah, I said, thanks for that. And they went, couldn't resist it. Let's have dinner in a couple of weeks. So, But away from that, an amazing night. You're going to be back next year. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm gig. not signed yet, but um, I sort of signed year on year. So uh, that's I'm only 50% of that equation. But, I, yeah, I really enjoyed it. It's um, it's herding cats, it's, <laughs> and it's not it's not getting any easier herding cats. No, <laughs> but like I said, I don't think that comes across on at home. I think when the show gets going, and and I always like to see it's look, it's a popularity contest, of course it is, because it's voted for by the public. But I like to see a kind of fifty fifty split between the Beeb and ITV, and a couple of like you know, uh, Channel Four 
shows winning and, and, and no channel four shows won this year i don't think but it was a bit it, but for the most part it was a 50 50 split because you don't want one channel winning all the time and it's so interesting what you say about the difference between in the room and at home because david dimbleby's speech everyone was so excited to see him but i think he kind of lost the room a little bit towards the end. it was quite a long speech but then on twitter everyone's saying amazing speech yeah. he's brilliant sometimes it is very different at home yeah definitely i get that with the x factor all the time mm. so Busy man, let's talk about some of these projects that are going on. Yeah. You've got your own quiz show coming up. Yeah, the idea really made me laugh. So the idea, it's called Small Fortune, and the idea is it's kind of micro games in a, mac, in a macro studio. The audience got it immediately, so they get really impatient quite quickly because the idea is, say, Jeff, is, he does his free practice, and then he says, okay, uh, and then I say, do you want to play or practice? And he says, well, I want another practice. So I say, okay, £5,000 off the prize fund. Your prize fund's now £45,000. He does another practice, and let's say it goes well. Then you've got a choice. You either push the button, or you you can practice again, yeah. And as we, soon as you press the button, the audience go the audience go crazy. The audience are like push the button. <laughs> They're keen. Oh that yeah. First episode. Like, they, you have know, you they seen it? Yeah, yeah, at all, got, yeah. Have you? What do you think? Yeah, I loved it because it's so gloriously simple. So the games might be sort of flicking something with your finger yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, or blowing a marble through. It's it. the stuff yeah. that you watch at home and go, "How are you so bad at that? I can do that." Yeah, you know easy to get copied. And they let me, the lovely thing is for me, they let me have fun with it. I think there's something about having tension and with it being such a small sort of playing space and the audience feel quite close. It, 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 is, it does feel, you at home, you do feel quite tense. Feel that, yeah, definitely, definitely. There's a real intimacy to it that I really like. And it's just been fun to do. And then on the other side, you're doing, you've done an episode of Icons, yeah. which is this big vote about finding the, the big icon of the 20th century. Yeah, they got in touch and said, look, I've got this great commission with BBC Two. Um, one of the, you know, I love you, know, you love your exploration, you know your exploration, so would you, would you come on and do Explorers? I'd like to think my Explorers can win but I don't think they can but it's a bit of fun you know I think people I went online just to see how the other shows were doing and, and sort of how can you pick between Gandhi and blah 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 I just think well, it's, you can't obviously but you know it's it's just a nice mechanic and let's not all take it too seriously and, I mean it, you are, it, and it's tough competition I think the final is February the 5th on BBC 2 yeah that's next week David Bowie, Martin Luther King, Muhammad Ali. I mean, Shackleton's good. I'm but not holding that... out much hope, <laughs> <laughs> if I'm honest with you. So is it the case for you that you have half of your year devoted to X Factor? About that. And then the other half, you're free to explore and do these Kind of, projects? yeah. I mean, I've, I, which is nice. A lovely position to be in. And now we're just doing Real Stories, which is a show I did with iPlayer. Do you, do you see it? Like yeah, yeah. Watch the Kylie one yet? Yeah, it was too short. It was the only thing. But um, yeah, because we could have done that. We could have... I mean, we had we had it for two hours, and I said to the guy, it was the lovely thing was it was kind of properly in my image, and I uh, used this great director, and I said, look, I want it, I want it, I want the cameras rolling as soon as she gets in. I just I want it make it as kind of as natural and as, as live as possible because I know I'm best like that, and I think you get sort of the best out of people when when the cameras are almost incidental, and uh, and she was terrific. So yeah, so we're doing we're definitely doing three more this year. So that's kind of. Between that and the, the kids' book that I'm writing, that's the third one of those. That's kind of my sort of focus at the moment. And X Factor's all penciled in. It's all signed up for the rest of, for this year? Yeah. I mean, I, I haven't... We, we haven't even... I mean, most of that team, certainly the top editorials, kind of flip between X Factor and BGT. So, and obviously at the moment they're all on BGT, so I haven't... We haven't had any... I think I'm meeting a couple of them in a couple of weeks' time. What would you like to see... What would you like to see on the show this year? Would you like any changes? I'd like another live show. I think we did... Six the year before last, we did seven last year. I think we could definitely do eight. I think ten's too many now, just in the way people watch telly. But I think I think eight we could still eight's got a nicer ring to it than seven anyway. What what about the judging panel? Would you like that to stay the same? Well, I don't I don't personally I like it when it 
when it beds it, I think it takes a year. It's like a it's like a French football player coming to the Premier League. I always think it takes a year before you can even start to go, is this working or not? You know, because we 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 go on the road straight away, and I think it, it definitely takes a year for people to get to know each other, uh, for it to bed down, for the you know the little nuances to work and the sort of little in jokes to to um you know to bed in. So yeah. And do you talk much to Simon about you know his ideas for the show? It. Yeah. When I'm on it, we do. And to be fair, and Simon would admit this as well, it's a big team effort. So mm. I think, you know, it's a, it's a pretty open forum. But Simon likes chaos to reign. So, you know, there's only so much planning goes into it. He doesn't want to know too much. And I, I love that about him in that certainly when we go in the auditions, he just wants, you know, he doesn't know who, that's kind of why I still do it because I don't know what's coming around the corner. Mm. The reason why I still enjoy doing that, the audition show particularly is because there's now it's queer as folk and there's some queer folk coming around the corner. Do you know what I mean? And you never know how good they're going to be. And I think I love the way we've tried to, over the years, kind of strip back that notion of it being too produced and actually... And I think the problem we've got is that people just go, ah, oh, they just sat there. You know, that's always going to be... There's an element of cynicism for a show that's been on as long as we have. But um, actually most of the stuff is quite serendipitous, I think. But I, and and the show, you know, the show does need to evolve always. Um, if it's you know if it's going to carry on and also still sells records, which is like you know always the kind of the balance you've got on the show is that we want to make a great TV show at the same time at the end of it. Then Simon's got to put his record producer hat on and his label boss hat on and go, well, yeah, I need I need someone that's, that's going to do well off the back of this. And you can, you know, well, that's alchemy, really. For, for me and for a lot of people, I guess the big talking point last year was Ida's inclusion on the judging panel, a, a lack of sort of music experience, I guess. I mean, as, as far as you're concerned, that, that paid off? You thought they worked well? Well, together? I think she was terrific. Obviously, there was raised eyebrows. I honestly think that we should do a better job selling her because that's someone who has worked in the toughest town there is to work in for 20 years. She's had her ups, she's had her downs. She knows what it's like to get a part. She's probably, she's auditioned more than anyone else on that panel. And... In term and the business is the business, right? So, in terms of the justification for her being on the panel, when you put it like that, it's pretty stark. And I actually think she did a really, I think she did a really good job, and she was properly committed. I just want to touch on other Saturday night shows. We've got, obviously, The Voice, mm -hmm. The Greatest Dancer, Dance on Ice on a Sunday as well. And I think you mentioned that you're watching The Greatest Dancer, obviously I'm, another I'm, psycho production. What, what do you think? I'm enjoying it. I'm, I'm really enjoying it. I think it's a, I think it's a lovely, heartwarming show. I th it's what I want my Saturday nights to be. Like, I love BGT. Like, um, to be honest with you, we watch mostly drama. But I like those big sort of set-piece entertainment shows. I want to have fun. I want a little bit of what we try and do, certainly what I try and do in the X Factor, when, you know, to the, to the most of my capabilities. You want to have fun. You want to have, you can have fun with people as long as you put your arm around them and, you know, and you want them to do well. But if someone says something funny, you, you know, that's the, the X Factor has a great history of that. Um, but you want it to be heartwarming. And I think the greatest answer ticks all those boxes. It's a nice, Saturday night show. At the moment, it's not it's not doing as well in the ratings as perhaps it could be. It's getting beaten by the boys. What what do you think needs to change to maybe make it? I think it's, if I'm honest with you, I think it just has to bed in. And I think that we have a history over here, sort of in recent years, of things going for one series, and if they don't rate through the roof, then they get cancelled. And I'd, I'd hate to see that happen to that show because I think that I think especially I know they're expensive and I know that it's it's a big commission, but 
I think you've got to have a bedding in period. And so I think if you're going to commission a show like that, then you may as well commission two to three series and see how it goes. And you quite like, you like the receptionist who's very divisive oh, on I think Twitter. she's great. Yeah. I mean, it's not about her, I think. I think people just think, oh, the judges are there, they should have more autonomy because Cheryl's there and she doesn't get to have enough say and that kind of thing. Captains, but I don't know what you're captains, saying. They're called captains. Captain, she got captains. I just, you know, I just call everyone judges. I, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, just, I can't be doing with the whole... Coaches. Like coaches. coaches captains. They're, they're sort of judges and mentors. It's like, if I was hosting that show, I'd still call them judges. I, was, I, have, to, <laughs> I have to be corrected all the time. Do you think Cheryl and the judges should have more power? Do you think, or do you think that works, the fact that they're, they only sort of come into it in the live shows really? Really. Yeah, I mean, I, I, th- I think we have to see what the live shows are like because mm. I'm, you know, I think we, I, I don't really, I don't think Cheryl's mesmeric on television. So, I mean, I could just sort of, and I think Otis has been brilliant as well. Mm. Yeah, she's been a real star. I think uh, the three of them have been great. So, um, yeah, I, th- I think for that first series, like anything, you're finding your feet. I agree. I think it's, ideally you'd have a couple of series, but I do feel this Saturday we've got the live show starting. I do feel like, a little bit, it's make or break. It's, it's a two-hour live show. We're going to see whether they're, how good the chemistry is between them. You learn a lot about the judges. The chemistry when, will be good. Yeah. You learn a lot about them on the live shows, though, don't you, I think? That's, where, that's you know, you're exposed when you go live. But, I, but I know, I've met Matthew a couple of times. I've met Ossie a couple of times. Obviously, I know Cheryl. I, I think they'll do fine. So you talk about shows you watched after school. I used to watch Big Brother's Little Brother a lot. Yeah, that was really exciting. But it was a great show. Oh, I loved and it. And we were so obsessed with Big Brother at that I time. Loved it. Which is why I personally am glad the Big Brother's closing, just because it was such an obsession. Then it tailed off and became something else. Right. How do you feel about it ending? No, I sort of. I guess I've got mixed feelings about mm. it. We had this incredible impromptu rap party that, that wasn't really a rap party, organised by people that used to work on the show. And, uh, and they recently, said, yeah, just uh, the day after the last series finished. Oh, and I thought I'll pop down for a drink. And a lot of people didn't go because they thought it might be a bit too weird. And it was weird, but it was the nicest weird. So it just, it was people you haven't seen for 10 years. Just turn around and go, oh my God, you look fantastic. Hey, how's it going? You know, it's, it was so lovely to see old colleagues and friends and some old, some old housemates who I genuinely haven't even thought about for 10 years. Do you remember <laughs> the, the guy who's kind of quite sort of public school boy, uh, used to have a teddy and he came in, I think, halfway through one of the series, John T, I think his name was. Oh, yeah. yeah. And, and I literally was in, the, was in the queue to get my coat. Or put my coat in. And I turned around and he was there with his bears. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I turned around. Hey, John T. Now, his name hasn't been in my head for 10 years. How in the world I remember that, I'm not entirely sure. But he was with Eugene. Remember the guy who was like massive yeah. Big Brother fan? But it was a really old night because it was full of wonderful nostalgia and genuine love for a show that a lot of us have cut our teeth on and made our names on. And yet there's a huge proportion of people that were there who are just thinking, well, I lost my job today. So this is kind of awake as well. So it was, and that kind of for me summed up how I felt about the whole show finishing. It's kind of a mixed, I suppose. But I, but seven of the best years of my life on that show. I absolutely loved it. And what else are you watching? You said you like dramas. So here's the thing. I'm now, and you're going to roll your eyes and go, you've been living on the moon. I'm playing, cat. what's the one show? You must have this. There's one show that you never watched that everyone watched and then it passed you by. Well, for me, it's The Wire. Right, but have you yeah. ever watched The Wire? I've still not watched it, and I still need to watch it. What's your one? Luther. Oh, Dermot. Right. So <laughs> when, when, have you, never... when have you discovered Luther? Like, literally About January? Two weeks ago. Amazing. So we are now, every night, going, should we, wa- should we just do a Luther? They are so good. They are. And I adore Idris anyway. He's a lovely man. And I've seen one or two, but I've never 
properly like you know when you miss let's just like pre catch up stuff's time so you know when when it first came out it was like 2005 six something like that and uh yeah so it passed me by and now i'm going this is fun. you know you're just going this is fantastic and you feel both stupid because you should have got an early doors but also but you can't watch everything all the time dermot thanks for being here with us i've really enjoyed it if you want to see Dermot's new shows, Small Fortune is on Saturday night, 7 o'clock on ITV. And the live final of Icons is on Tuesday, 5th of February, BBC Two at 9 o'clock. It's time once again to add to the list of box sets to watch before you die. Each week, one of our favourite faces from the telly tells us a must-see series. Last week, it was Ardlo Hanlon telling us about the Western Deadwood. This week, it's the turn of Russell Howard. He's had some good news this week. His Sky One show, The Russell Howard Hour, has been confirmed to come back for another two series. And to celebrate, we've let him pick two box sets. Hello, I'm Russell Howard, and my box set to watch uh, before I die, if I'm honest... If I was about to die, I'd probably try and put that death off. But if death was coming to me and there was nothing else I could do and I was near a DVD player or, I don't know, iTunes or Netflix or whatever, it would be The Wire. There are two kinds of kids walking in this building. Stoop kids, corner kids. No, stoop kids. They're the ones that stay on the front steps when the parents tell them. The others go down to the corners. You follow drugs, you get drug addicts and drug dealers. Get down! But you start to follow the money, and you don't know where it's going to take you. You think I have time to ask a man why he's giving me money or where he gets his money from? The game is out there, and it's either play or get played. It's Baltimore, gentlemen. The gods will not save you. Pretty, um, pretty obvious, but, you know, great is... TV show ever made but I also quite like Mad Men bringing in business is the key to your salary your status and your self worth you're looking at the finest ad men in New York what you call love was invented by guys like me to sell nylons me and my girlfriend watch that to go to sleep we've watched it over and over and over and my favourite character is Roger Sterling being with a client is like being in a marriage Sometimes you get into it for the wrong reasons and eventually they hit you in the face. (laughs) Right, so two there. Should we start with Mad Men? I love a bit of Mad Men, but I think it's that kind of show. It's like a Russian novel that everyone wants to say they've watched and actually not many people have watched because the ratings were quite low, actually, when it came out. I think it's the one that a lot of people have binged on after the event almost. Um, I think it's a great choice. Possibly would be my choice. I know we're in the run-up. I did say the lakes, but I think thinking about it more rationally, this is probably the one show that I used to properly binge. Trying to save some street cred there. Yeah, yeah. Some... <laughs> After the OC. Exactly. <laughs> I got a lot of abuse for the OC. I couldn't believe it. But yeah, The Mad Men is a, is a really you know solid show. Ran for seven seasons. It's set in that Sterling Cooper, Draper Price um, advertising firm. And obviously uh, you've got Don Draper played by John Hamm, one of the greatest sort of TV characters of all so time. So charismatic. Amazing. Uh, and then The Wire, Russell calls the greatest TV show ever made. I have to say, I did miss The Wire first time around, which makes me a terrible TV critic. But now I'm obsessed with Dominic West from lots of other things. I need to go back and watch it. I think this is probably Dominic West's greatest role, certainly the one that got him a lot of work afterwards. He played Detective Jimmy McNulty. And this is The Wire set in Baltimore, Maryland. It ran for five series. To be honest, I think it's almost grown in sort of stature and sort of uh, credibility the longer time's gone on. I don't think, again, a lot of people necessarily watched it at the time. 
I think somewhere in my flat, I've got a box set of it. I haven't even got the DVD player anymore, but I know that I've got a box set and I did watch it back in the day. It's a very sort of hard police sort of crime drama and each uh, series talked about a different area of Baltimore. There was one about the drugs trade, hence sort of the wires, the wiretap, uh, one on the docks, one in the government. And it just sort of went through all the different uh, sort of scheming and, and illegal activities and that kind of thing. And it, it was a great series. So is it just a really, really good cop show? Essentially, yeah, a really good American cop show. I think a lot of people compare it with things, you know, obviously The Sopranos wasn't about the cop side, but it's of that sort of ilk. If you if you like The Sopranos, I think you, you're obviously going to like The Wire. And I guess for some younger people, they maybe weren't around or old enough when it was on TV first time around. So, yes, yeah, it's, it's a great sort of crime drama, really. Right, I know what I'm doing this evening then. We'll be hearing from another famous face from the telly to give us their box set to watch before you die next week. So we're running out of time in this week's episode, but as ever, we need to scan across our EPGs and hazard a guess at what we'll be talking about, not just next week, but also next month and next year. Jeffers, you are my guru about this kind of thing. What should we be keeping an eye on next week? Next week, there's a start of a new sort of documentary series, Martin Clunes Islands of America. It's a four-parter on ITV, and he's travelling around the coasts of the United States discovering what life is like on the surrounding islands. Um, he's doing like 10,000 mile journeys in it. And obviously we're used to seeing him on things like Doc Martin. So it's a, a nice sort of different side to him. And he's going from like Hawaii to Alaska. So it's going to be, you know, sunshine, snow. It's going to be quite varied. It should be quite fun. And he's done these travelogues before, but the trailer for this one looks really intense. He's like holding a man by his face. It looks like some kind of spiritual epiphany. I think it's going to be a really good one, actually. So what about next month? Uh, next month, we have got the new series of Fleabag, yeah. the second series. Um, it's very exciting. I think from what we're hearing, it is going to start some point in February. Probably not going to be dropped as a box set, maybe an episode a week. But this is the thing that Phoebe Waller-Bridge did before the massive smash hit of Killing Eve. This is, I think, her best work, certainly the first series. But I'm really excited, I think. I can't wait to watch the rest of it. Well, I'm very excited. I loved it. But honestly, having known you for ages, I've never seen you more excited. You were basically jumping up and down after the screening. <laughs> you were so excited. I can't recommend it highly enough. Um, I think it's brilliant. She's she's just an absolute genius. Right, and what about next year? Next year is a bit of a different one to Fleabag. Um, David Attenborough was, uh, was on stage at the Davos conference talking to Prince William. So this is quite high end and... What he was talking about was a new TV series called Our Planet. This is going to be on Netflix. Sounds really, really good. It's taken four years uh, to film, so four years in the making, and they've gone to over 50 countries, every continent on Earth. I think we're looking at a Blue Planet type vibe for this. Um, I'm no no uh, sort of announcement in terms of when it's going to be on, but I think when Our Planet hits, it's going to be one of those that everyone's going to be talking about. Well, lots for us to keep an eye on then. That's all we've got time for for this week. This has been the Series Linked podcast. Thank you so much for listening to this and to our first few episodes. Before we go, I've got a little favour to ask. Please could you leave a nice review on the Apple Podcast app? It makes the people here at Muddy Knees Media very happy and they send us lots of encouraging emails to make us feel good. So if you could do that, we'd be very happy. But please be sure to subscribe so our next episode is ready for you on Tuesday morning. That's the main thing. Until then, goodbye. See ya. Some people were made to follow the instructions. We were made to make our own. To always measure twice and never cut corners. Unless, of course, we've got a compound miter saw. Northern Tool and Equipment is a problem solver's paradise. There's nothing we can't find, fix, or figure out together. We're made for this. Start solving your projects today at northerntool.com.